Welcome to Banyan Books, Branches of Wisdom. Celebrating the joy of bright ideas and heartful lifelong learning. Branches of Wisdom is a series of intimate conversations with the world's most influential authors and visionaries. We explore spirituality and the human mind, ecology and culture. Most episodes are recorded with a live audience. You can join our live events and submit questions to your favorite guests. Check out our upcoming schedule at banyan.com. Since 1970, Banyan Books has been a rich oasis at the crossroads of wisdom and philosophy, offering resources for humanity's evolving paths. We're a locally owned independent bookstore in the heart of Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood. Visit us in person or shop online at banyan.com. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews for the podcast. And now, enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another wonderful Banyan Books event. This evening, our guest is Dodie Graham McKay. Dodie Graham McKay is an initiated witch and independent filmmaker. Since the 1980s, she has been involved in magic, music, and other forms of media. Dodie is the founder of Moongazy Films Incorporated, has written for The Wild Hunt, and is active in her local art and magic communities. Today, she is with Banyan Books speaking about her new book, Earth Magic, Elements of Witchcraft. Packed with rituals, exercises, spells, recipes, and more, this dynamic addition to Llewellyn's Elements of Witchcraft series shows you how to enrich your connection to the earth. Dodie Graham McKay shares a variety of fun and fascinating ways to get your hands dirty as you grow your magical practice. The book explores the deities, animal guides, herbs, and crystals associated with the earth element. It also contains recipes, spells, and sacred sites that help you call upon nature for greater power and wisdom. The book teaches how this element is used in cultures and myths around the world, featuring illuminating essays from guest, guest contributors, including Sparrow Kemp, Austin Lawrence, and Jackie Wood. Earth Magic inspires you to manifest amazing changes in your environment and yourself. This book, Earth Magic, was also the spark that inspired our guest to start her business, which is called Covenstead Candle Company, where she makes natural soy candles containing herbs, essential oils, resins, and gemstones carefully selected to suit the intent of each candle. As her signature spell candle, Earth Magic was inspired by the process of writing the book. Of course, this new line of spell jar candles are now available at Banyan Books. You can just go to the website, banyan.com and search for Covenstead candles, or of course you can find them in person in the store. If you'd like to learn more about today's honored guest and her work, you can visit her website, which is dodiegrahammckay.com. Banyan Books community, please join me in a very warm welcome for Dodie Graham McKay. Dodie, thanks so much for being here. Hi Ross, thank you. I am really excited to be speaking at a Banyan hosted event. Uh, I'm, a, I'm 
was in the store back in April and was delighted to see all the great witchcraft books that the store had to offer. And I let out a really embarrassing squealing noise when I discovered Earth Magic was already on the shelf. I was really pleased it, uh, to go from being a, a fan of bookstores to being a fan of bookstores who actually has a book to sell in the bookstores. It's, it's, a, it's a fun transition and it's an exciting one for me. So uh, unlike Banyan Books, I am not in, uh, in Vancouver. I'm coming to you from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Treaty One territory, home of the Métis Nation. And um, I just am really excited to share Earth Magic with you. So um, I'm going to start off by talking a little bit about um, this book and about what Earth Magic is. Um, when, when I sat down to write the book, I was kind of uh, a little bit uh, overwhelmed because to me, the Earth element is is what I see first. It's it's that it's that thing that's all around us. You know, our, our feet are on the ground, um, and everything that we use in our daily life, the resources that that nurture and sustain us, all come from the earth. So narrowing it down to one book was a bit of a challenge, uh, but I think I did it. Um, so what what is earth magic then? Um, earth magic the practice of earth magic, the practical application of earth magic, um, would be uh, forms of magic and ritual that give body and form and shape and substance to your intention. So when you are crafting something, when you're making something, you're, maybe you're making a charm, maybe you're making a candle, maybe you're making something, um, a, a ritual meal to eat, you're using, uh, tangible material things and you're giving them shape and form. Um, one thing that that has happened uh, over the last couple of years is we've all been in this crazy global pandemic and there's been a lot of <sighs> unrest and dis-ease and um, uncertainty for for a lot of humans and when the pandemic began um, and everybody was getting used to this new world that we're living in, there was a, a time when suddenly a lot of people were kind of coming out of the woodwork and approaching people like me who are, you know, have established practices and, and, and a place within magical communities. And all these new people started to show up. People, people started really actively seeking uh, spiritual paths that uh, would give them a sense of um, connection, connection to the natural world, connection to hope, connection to a form of spirituality that was nurturing and sustaining in a different way. And a lot of people who maybe had a bit of background interest in uh, earth-based spiritualities or witchcraft or magic um, really started coming out of the woodwork. And I think that's uh, I think that's kind of touching and kind of profound that in a time of crisis, in a time of of confusion, people came back to looking at the earth as a viable uh, spiritual path, uh, an alternative path that um, that that sustains us. Um, when when I when I 
describe uh, witchcraft and earth magic to people. I like to ask them to, um, you know, close their eyes and remember that feeling that you get when you're in nature. And sometimes when we're out, maybe we're walking in a park or along a beach or out in the woods, and you get that that sense of oneness with your environment. You get this sense of uh, bliss. You're carried away by how lovely and wonderful everything feels around you. And you are listening to the sounds of the birds and the, the wind in the trees. And, and for a little while there, everything's just okay. You feel good and you feel enriched. And when you complete your time in nature, um, you head back into your normal life feeling refreshed and, and uh, healed. Earth-based spiritualities and, and earth magic and witchcraft are paths you can take where you can actively create that feeling for yourself at will. And that's a pretty empowering thing to be able to become grounded and centered and have that feeling of, of connection and, and happiness and contentment that you get in nature, but to be able to conjure that at will when you, when you need to and when you, when you want to. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna read to you now a, a, a little piece from the book that, uh, that sort of sets the stage for this. So this is from the introduction to Earth Magic. On December 24th, 1968, the astronauts of the Apollo 8 space mission were celebrating Christmas Eve by orbiting the moon. As their spacecraft emerged from the dark side of the moon, our home, planet Earth, appeared over the moon's horizon. Astronaut Bill Anders took up his camera and captured a defining photograph. The image depicts the gray and cratered surface of the moon in the foreground, while floating in the inky black background, alone in the depths of space, sits a small and exquisitely beautiful blue and white planet. The color image was one of a kind. These were the days before satellite images took away the need for a human photographer to get lucky and be in the right place at the right time. There was no digital copy to distribute in seconds. His film needed to be returned to Earth and developed. New Year's 1969 was celebrated before the world got to share what had already changed the astronauts' lives. Planet Earth. Our biosphere appears as a faint blue halo, like a planetary aura. Swirling white clouds, vast blue oceans, and a blush of sandy brown highlighting Africa. A sharp line reveals more than half of the planet is experiencing daylight, while the rest of the globe is shrouded in the dark of night. All our history, present and future are captured. Every creature, plant, rock, and drop of water. All of humanity, save for the three sitting in the spacecraft, together in one extraordinary picture. The photograph was dubbed Earthrise and it went on to become known as the most, one of the most important pictures ever taken. 
It was humanity's first chance to see our planet in context and gain some perspective on the delicate beauty of where we live. The photo went on to become iconic and was seen around the world on television, magazine covers, school textbooks, encyclopedias, and newspaper articles everywhere. But Bill Anders gave us more than just an awe-inspiring photograph that day. He gave the average person an opportunity to glimpse something much more, something that only the elite few who have traveled to space have experienced, the overview effect. Space philosopher and author Frank White coined the term overview effect in 1987 to describe the phenomena experienced by astronauts when they see Earth from space. These space travelers that White interviewed consistently reported that after leaving the Earth and having the ability to see it in its entirety from far up above, they experienced a shift in consciousness. The emotional response of seeing all of humanity drifting in space with all the vast emptiness around it is said to be one of tremendous connection and awe. Seen from space, our planet has no borders, no divisions, and no walls. It is one planet, one home, unified and beautiful, shrouded in a shockingly thin protective layer of atmosphere that gives its flora and fauna the gift of life. How could this not have a life-changing impact on those few souls fortunate enough to blast off in a rocket ship to witness it? Why does a human being need to go to such an extreme to have this profound experience? We have all had moments when the day-to-day -day grind of our regular life calls for us to take a step back and regroup. This shift in perspective may be something as simple as walking away from an argument, taking a vacation or turning the phone off. On some level, we all understand that in order to take stock of the things that really matter to us, we need to see the big picture. For the astronauts who get the gift of experiencing the overview effect firsthand, they are having the most epic timeout a human being can imagine. What can that teach us as witches, pagans, magical practitioners, or tree-hugging earth lovers? I think it is a wake-up call. The lessons we can learn from being aware of the big picture for our planet and choosing mindfully to consider it are keys to empowering our spiritual practices and the whole of our lives. When we honor and accept the interconnectedness of humanity with the natural world and our place within the universe, we get our own overview of the potential available to us. We can embrace the enormity of it and work our magic to find ways to connect to the energies inherent around us and empower the magic we do to manifest the world we want to live in. So I hope that that gives you a, a bit of an idea of what I'm talking about when I talk about earth magic. It's a, it's a experiential thing, a tactile thing. And it's a chance for us to, to become animists, to, to share the belief that everything in nature has spirit and that uh, everything in nature, including us, we're all interconnected. Um, and, and 
witchcraft and, and earth magic gives us tools and it gives us uh, a, a framework that we can work from to build those connections and have that sort of overview effect, but from our perspective on earth, a view of the earth as something that is, is sacred and is alive with spirit. And, um, and in my book, Earth Magic, I do talk about some of the, the tools and, and, and practices that you can engage in to become, um, to build those connections more strongly for yourself. So um, part of this, this book is, is, you know, long wordy stuff like I just read. And part of this book also includes um, some tools and tips and references for uh, building your earth magic practice. Um, and these don't have to be complicated things. These can be things that you do every day and that you um, integrate into your life in a, in a way that just builds authenticity. Um, uh, one of the things that immediately comes to mind when you think about earth magic is, is parts of the earth that we use in our magic. Now, a lot of us uh, like to use stones and crystals. I mean, I mean, almost everybody at one point in their lives has seen a fun or shiny rock somewhere in nature and picked it up and put it in our pocket. Earth magic gives us a chance to actually use some of those things in a practical way. Um, you know, I, I would also, you know, remember when I'm, when I'm doing my earth magic that, you know, we don't have to separate um, that sort of esoteric practices from our everyday routines. We can integrate those things. Um, working, working in the kitchen can involve forms of earth magic. Um, working in the garden can involve forms of earth magic. But let's go back to crystals for, and stones for, for a couple of minutes. I really like working with crystals and stones. Um, and I'm often seduced by beautiful crystals I see when I'm out, you know, visiting shops that sell such things, or if I'm in, a, in an antique market where there's some, you know, interesting crystal specimens. But that's not to say that this, they're any more special or any more powerful than the stones right under your feet. Um, you know, I, I am uh, easily drawn to, you know, beautiful samples like this piece of citrine. Um, but whenever I'm shopping for these things, I'm also sort of mindful that um, stones and crystals that are, are mined from the earth are a non-renewable resource. I mean, this can't go back to where it came from and it, you know, probably took, you know, millions of years to be created. And now it sits on my desk. It's a wonderful thing and I like it and I value it. But I also value the little stones that are found on the beach, little pebbles you know, taking small amounts of things, being careful not to disturb the natural habitats that they're a part of. Um, they're, all, they're all equally as powerful and equally as valid. I just encourage people to maybe perhaps think a little bit about uh, the origins of those stones and how they're, how they're extracted. Some of our crystals are extracted as the byproduct of other, you know, strip mining type uh, uh, extraction practices and some uh, some types of crystals and and uh, interesting stones are just you know things that get washed up on a beach so being mindful of of how you're getting them and uh, where they're coming from 
um, that sort of harvesting um, we think of uh, plants more in that in that sense, but um, stones are also harvested in in ethical and unethical ways. It's just a funny thing you don't really think of those two things as being so similar, but they are. Um, and speaking of plants, I mean, I don't think there could be anything sort of more iconic of sort of a, an earth witch or a green witch or, or witchcraft than working with herbs and plants. Now, if you're lucky enough to have uh, a space where you can do some gardening, even if it's just a pot on your windowsill, um, any contact with plants and plant energies um, is a great way to get yourself involved in, in earth magic. Um, I hardly encourage everybody to have one plant in their house that they cultivate um, and, and actively take care of, and preferably a herb that you can harvest bits of and use in your cooking. There's something really special about that relationship that you can have with a plant ally, that you're, you're working with it, you're tending it, you're watching how it grows. Um, it doesn't sound overly magical, but actually it's probably one of the more magical acts you can do with a plant is to, to raise it and care for it and, and exchange with it. You, you harvest some of it and then you give back to it by fertilizing it and watering it and making sure it has enough light. Um, building those relationships, having that sort of animistic approach to, to uh, your relationships with plants. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of kitchen witchery. There's a lot of uh, excellent books lately that have come out uh, on the topic of kitchen witchery. And it, there's also a whole chapter in Earth Magic that talks about um, practicing uh, kitchen witchery uh, in tune with the wheel of the year. So I, I've included recipes to go with the eight Wiccan Sabbaths of the year that uh, consider the types of food that might be appropriate to eat at different times of year and how that fits into uh, a witch's change of seasons. Um, there's a great reward and, and a great uh, feeling that comes from creating food um, mindfully and um, with magical intent and then sharing it. And even if you're sharing it with you know, just yourself or one other person or uh, breaking off a small portion of your own food and laying it outside as an offering to the land spirits or whatever deities that you work with. Um, it's a very, it's a very uh, intimate way of sharing when we share food with each other. Um, I often get asked if there's any kind of earth magic that you can that you can do and maybe take it with you into the office or into um, a space other than your home. Um, and I'm going to share a, a fun thing you can do. Um, it's talked about a little bit in the book. Um, working with salt as a, a symbol of the earth is a pretty powerful magical tool. I think we've all heard um, the term salt of the earth as referring to something that is very pure, somebody's very got a very good spirit and a very pure heart. Um, and that's because salt is a natural purifier. So I encourage you 
find yourself a nice little a nice little dish. I've got this little green bowl. I don't know if you can see that. And I've filled it with kosher salt. So it's a very coarse, uh, dense salt, uh, very lightly refined. Uh, for this purpose, I would avoid using table salt, you know, that iodized, really finely ground salt. It's been so heavily processed and it's often got added anti-caking agents that make it nice for pouring and very uniform and easy to measure. So it's good for something like baking. But from a magical perspective, it's had a lot of its uh, natural uh, minerals refined out of it. So I like using something that's really coarse, uh, something that's got a good texture, something that you can really feel and, and pick up. And there's but you know, I, I, I can't help but, but notice, and maybe it's just the algorithm that I'm on, that there's just a lot of talk about salt bowls <laughs> coming around on social media. And the idea of this is that the salt uh, will absorb uh, negative energy, negative properties, negative feelings, people might say bad vibes that are in the air. Um, so you can just have a little bowl of salt, maybe put it on your desk at work or on the windowsill in, you know, an, an area where you spend a lot of time. I have um, this salt bowl here on my desk and I take it a step farther. I, uh, I have a, a I decorate it for different purposes and I might change it up with different stones or small tokens from around my house. Um, it's a, it turns into a little bit of a shrine. I add a little goddess statue and then I've got a few stones. I've got my little stone from the beach, a little piece of, uh, of, of green agate here to represent the earth, a little garnet to represent love, abundant love. A little bit of hematite to help me stay grounded. I change that up oh, about once every lunar cycle. I uh, dispose of the salt, get some fresh salt, and maybe change up the stones to suit whatever mood or working that I'm, I'm working on, or if I'm writing or doing something in particular here at my desk, I might tailor it to that project. So it's a very simple thing that, uh, that we can do, and uh, always being mindful that when we're taking resources out of nature, that we're not taking more than we need. So in that theme, I'm going to read to you from a, another short passage from, from Earth Magic. And this is about wildcrafting. And although I'm speaking about plants here, um, you can also use think the same kind of processes through on uh, any kind of harvesting you do from nature, whether it be, you know, stones or firewood or whatever. So here we go. This is uh, from the Earth Herbs and Botanicals chapter. There is nothing more rewarding than creating your own medicines from fresh plants that you either grow or wildcraft yourself. There is something so inherently witchy about wandering off into the woods or your own garden with pruning shears in a basket, then coming home to get something bubbling and brewing on your kitchen counter. To wildcraft is to harvest plants from their natural habitat. This can be done just about anywhere that you have wild plants growing. I live in a fairly large city and I often wander down back lanes to walk my dog. I marvel at how many medicinal and edible plants grow along these alleyways in cracks between property lines and pavement. 
vacant lots along waterways and other no man's land sites in the city can provide an abundance of interesting and healing plants. Before you head out to harvest anything, take some time to investigate your area and learn what lives there. Go for walks and take pictures of interesting plants if you can. Use your photos as reference for later research. Read up on the local flora and determine which plants would be useful and practical to you. It is easy to get carried away with wildcrafting and take more than you need or pick plants that you have no use for and waste them. Make notes in your journal about the plants you have found, their locations and the time of year you see them, when they bloom and when they go to seed. Research before you harvest. And when you do go out to pick some plants, make sure you have the time set aside to process them. Note in your journal the name of the plant, when it was harvested, and what you made with it, and when it is ready, and, how, and record how your product turned out. When you find plants you want to harvest, spend some time observing them first. Is the plant colony healthy? Is it thriving? Do the individual plants look robust or are they pale and struggling? Is this an area that has been sprayed with pesticides or herbicides? Close your eyes and breathe. Listen to the sounds around you and pay attention to what you feel or hear. Is this the right plant to harvest? Ask the plant for permission to harvest it. If it does not feel right to cut it, then don't. Your intuition may be trying to tell you something you need to pay attention to. There's a wildcrafting joke that goes, all plants are edible once. So you can see how that uh, comparison between plants and stones and other natural resources, you know, if it doesn't feel right to take it, don't take it. So another thing that uh, often comes up in discussions around uh, earth magic is how do we connect to the earth? How do we make relationships with the spirits of the land that we live on? How do we uh, grow closer to our natural environments? Um, as I sort of implied before, the best tip and the best advice I can give in a situation like that is don't separate your magical practice from your life outside that practice. Find ways to integrate the two things. Um, as witches and, and pagans and earth-based spirituality followers, um, we regularly look to the earth's resources to be our tools, to be our inspirations. Um, a lot of practices talk about drawing up energy from the earth and then releasing it or, you know, directing it towards a magical goal or, or an intention. You know, on an everyday basis, magical and mundane, we are constantly drawing from the earth. We are constantly sucking from uh, its resources. So anytime you have an opportunity to constructively give back to the earth, you're, you're building a reciprocal relationship with the element of earth and with planet earth. So you think about all of those things. I mean, look at the things I've just shown you on this screen. I've shown you a bowl of salt. I've just shown you some crystals. I've shown you a little clay statue. These are all things that, um, 
you know, mostly things I've purchased, but they're things that have been taken from the earth, drawn as a resource, turned into a commodity and purchased. So how, what can, what kinds of things can I do to reciprocate, to give back? Now, that might be something as simple as remembering to sort my recycling and doing that with intention that I'm doing this as a way to give back and to help. It might be something um, that I'm able to do because I have a place for it as I compost. And I make sure that when I'm, you know, taking care of my, my backyard, I'm doing so without chemicals. I'm doing so um, mindful of the, the insects and the birds that, that visit that space. Um, all of these kind of mundane tasks that we do, when we do them intentionally, they can become an act of reverence for the planet. Um, and there's another thing that I, I think that often gets overlooked, and I know I overlooked it for a long time. So in, in my witchcraft practice, we talk a lot about the genius loci, the, the spirits of place, um, the, the beings that are the spirits of the trees and the rocks and the water and the land. And um, I'm going to read to you an, uh, uh, one last excerpt from the book here about uh, building that conversation with the spirits of the land. So this is from uh, Earth Magic. The chapter is called Connecting with the Spirit of Place. Before you try to build a conversation with the genius Loki of your own area, you will need to do some research and give some thought to which spirits you want to connect with. It is important to not be idealistic and believe all the spirits of place want relationships with humans. Some may be hostile or just want to be left alone. Some may not recognize you or your offerings and others may see you as a threat to their own habitat and well-being. When dealing with nature spirits, we need to respect that some of them have been attached to the land since long before human beings showed up and they may not care about our offerings, magic or success. Try to imagine what the relationship might look like from a non-human perspective. What benefit will the spirit receive for helping you? Are the offerings you may be able to provide of any real value to that spirit? Land spirits are inherent in the folklore and cultures of indigenous peoples around the world. In North America, South America, Australia, and New Zealand, for example, spiritual and religious relationships exist between indigenous people and the spirits present in the land. These relationships represent a living tradition that has been kept alive despite the challenges and hardships faced by indigenous communities as they have been invaded by colonists who've stripped them of their land, culture, and identity. We are at a point in history where the discussions on how to constructively live together and heal the damage done by the last 500 years of conquest and colonialism are just starting to happen. Within modern pagan and witchcraft forums, the debate and discussion surrounding what constitutes cultural appropriation is an ongoing conversation that needs to be addressed by every practitioner. We have an opportunity and obligation to audit our own practices and behaviors and ensure that we are building our own traditions on a foundation of respect and consideration for the communities that may be hurt 
if we take their rituals, symbols, medicines, and practices without the contextual understanding and training to fully appreciate their depth and significance to the people they belong to. In many instances, these things are being taken without permission and are exploited for profit and personal gain. We can do better than this. And, and you know, I think one of the things that we can all do in order to ensure that the earth is happy and the spirits inherent in nature and the land around us is to treat people better. And that's, uh, it's a small thing to say, but it's a huge thing to do. And uh, it's, it's where I want to, uh, to leave off my, this part of the conversation with just a message to, uh, if you want to earn the favor of the land and of the land spirits, um, treat the, the people that knew them first and best with respect. Because, hey, every mother is protective of her children. And if you're going to go into a mother's house and be abusive to her children, don't expect the mother to look after you. <laughs> so um, I'd like to open the floor to any questions that people may have. Um, I, I can talk about earth magic. I can talk about the candles. Do we have any questions, Ross? There's one here from Romeus that says, as beautiful as British Columbia is, I've never felt that connected to the land or spirits here. I don't know if they really feel connected or fully welcoming to me. I don't know if that's true or not, but that has been my feeling all these years. I'm of European heritage and didn't grow up in this part of Canada. So it's kind of a statement, and I don't know if you just want to comment on that one, uh, Dodie. <laughs> Oh, that, you know, Romeo, that's a really interesting thing that you brought up. Um, I, I have a witchcraft group here that I practice with, and uh, we have some, some new people to the group. Like I said at the top of this presentation, since the pandemic hit, oh boy, so many seekers have been coming out of the woodwork. And um, a lot of people who are drawn to, uh, I'm, 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 I'm Wiccan, I'm a Gardnerian uh, initiate, and that's a European practice. And a lot of folks who are, are drawn to the type of Wicca that I do um, seem to also be, well, I'd say mostly people of European descent. And a lot of people sort of report this. And I was um, having a meeting on uh, Sunday night with one of the women who's uh, training in our group. And she said almost verbatim what you said, Romeo, but she said it about Manitoba. And uh, we talked that through, and I think that um, th that there is a, there is going to be a feeling of being displaced. You know, our 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 a lot of our folks came to this world as uh, as colonists, as conquerors, and there's going to be a discord there. And I think the the way that the way that we can start to heal that and uh, and and make a better home is to make. As I, as I said when I read that last piece, is, is, to, is to, to come to a point of recon, honest and sincere reconciliation with, with the first people of, of this land. And uh, I think through truth and through reconciliation, we can start healing. And I hope it happens in our lifetime. I hope that we live to see uh, a time when the people on Turtle Island are living together harmoniously and in fairness. So uh, I... 
I don't really have an answer to that statement, but I can say that it's a, it's a, I think a common feeling and we just need to be, uh, lend our voices to make sure that people who are underrepresented get represented. Thank you, Dodi. Thank you, Romia, for that great question. Uh, on that note, Dodi, I actually wanted to ask you, I know that uh, I think that animal working with animal medicine is, is a part of your practice and maybe there's some stuff in the book about it. How do you recommend people to start working with animal medicine and is there anything to watch out for in terms of, of, of that way of practicing or working um, that might fall into the cultural appropriation category at all? You know, it's, again, super timely question. Uh, Ross, I'm, uh, I'm working on another book right now. And the book is about um, the re relationships between uh, witchcraft practitioners and animals, either uh, animals that are actually like our pets or animals that we visit on the astral plane. Um, working with animal medicine, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't use that, that, that language. I would talk about using animal energy or using animal guidance. Um, there's a lot of talk about uh, the term spirit animal. It's, it's uh, I think it's a term that we need to lose. It's usually um, in, in sort of the new age or pagan cultures, when we start talking about spirit animals, we're usually using it incorrectly with a, um, there's a stereotype there. There's a, a, a misjudgment there about how the indigenous worldview of what a spirit animal is and how we, we take that and try and put it into European uh, contexts. And it doesn't always fly. I'm, always offended when I see, you know, Facebook, why do I look at Facebook? I always get mad when I look at Facebook, but you see these quizzes go by, you know, what's your spirit animal? Um, and it's usually done with some sort of, uh, you know, kind of racist looking imagery of like, you know, a scantily clad woman and wearing a headdress, riding a polar bear or something outrageous like that. You know, the, it, it's conflating too many things that don't, belong together or shouldn't be together. And it, it also perpetuates this myth that all indigenous cultures have one way of working with the animal kingdom. And that's not really true. Um, in European style witchcraft, um, there's already a tradition of working with animal energy. Uh, in European style witchcraft, we talk about having familiars. Um, some of those familiars are in animal form, not all. Some are almost sort of like an angelic type form or like a humanoid type um, familiar form or, or sometimes just, you know, somebody's spiritual familiar was like an old woman or a, a strange hobo man or something, you know, some ragtag looking kind of uh, human. But uh, most commonly and, and most sort of famously, it's like the witch and her cat or a toad, you know. So we already have in within European traditions this idea of, of animal familiars. And um, that's the way I'd frame it for me because that's relevant to my witchcraft. So I don't know if that helps answer your question, but... Definitely, definitely. So it's, uh, it seems like there's ways to access our own ancestral roots and the traditions from our own and ancestry for of European heritage that might help us connect in a different way that's not sort of taking from indigenous culture uh, if we're a in a colonial position. 
Well, exactly. And if, if, um, if a witchcraft tradition already has a built-in system, you know, taking, appropriating somebody else's system and then conflating it with your own to kind of, and kind of manipulating it to suit a purpose that doesn't, doesn't have a, a, a momentum behind it yet. Um, we, you know, we, we, we can do better. We, we have these tools. Yeah. Thanks, Dodie. Um, we've got another one that's sort of along these lines, um, Dodie. This is from Kelly. Kelly says, what is Turtle Island and the significance? I live in Minnesota, USA. I'm not aware of Canadian issues. Okay. Well, Turtle Island is, um, and I, I'm sure there would be Indigenous folks in, in Minnesota who would, would use the term as well. But it's what uh, an Indigenous term for uh, what North America was referred to as um, in the pre-colonial times. And uh, it's called a turtle because there are creation uh, myths from different cultures that involve uh, the earth being, the land of earth being created on the back of a turtle. So... I, uh, a lot of, uh, I'm on Treaty 1 territory, there's a, a it, the term Turtle Island gets used here probably more frequently than other parts of Canada that I know of, but I'm, I'm just not familiar enough with the, the, the language and the and terminology used in the States, but a lot of the same um, Indigenous groups, I think, straddle the border, so there might be some carryover. Thanks, Dodie, and thanks for the question, Kelly. There's a question from Karina who's wondering, does a salt lamp work as well as the salt bowl? Salt lamps, um, I, I love my salt lamp. Uh, I had to put it away uh, because my cat kept licking it. And uh, they can be salt, when you're leaving salt out, and I've had a, actually heard a lot of people say that their pets will lick their salt lamps and it's not really healthy for them. So do be careful. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's what I remember when salt lamps sort of hit the market in a big way, they were talking about how it, you know, releases us, you know, good ions into the atmosphere. I don't know how true that is. I find that the light um, that they emit is very soothing and comforting. And so there's that sort of sensation to it. Um, I, I work with them differently. Like I, I work with the salt dish actively and I dress it with, with little tokens and stones and stuff. And it becomes like a, a, a moving, living sort of thing in my space. Um, but definitely give it a try. Um, it would make a nice centerpiece to a little, um, you know, visual arrangement with maybe some statuary or a, a plant or something beside it. Thank you, Dodie. Thank you, Karina, for your question. There's one from Lola here who says, can you please tell us what the chapters are in the book? I don't know how many chapters there are, if oh. if that, but if we could get an overview. Yeah, sure. Um, in the book, it's divided. The book is divided into three parts. And the first part uh, covers the history, the folklore and the myth associated with earth magic. So there's, um, sort of a bit of a history of earth throughout time and culture, like the element of earth throughout time and culture. Uh, there's a chapter about the mythological beasts and places of earth. So, um, you know, places that come out of myth and legend. 
Uh, and then there's um, a chapter called Earth and the Divine. So it, uh, talking about gods and goddesses associated with the element of earth. And then another chapter of sacred earth sites. So, you know, various places on earth um, that are sort of stone circles, you know, sacred mountains, that kind of thing. Part two is the working with the element of earth section of the book. So it talks about, you know, the element of earth and magic. There's a chapter about earth herbs and botanicals. Uh, and, and that's kind of fun because if you've never worked with herbs before, it's just like there's like some some crib notes about, you know, plants you can grow, herbs you can grow, and the magical uh, uses for them and, and how they're associated with earth. Um, there is a, a chapter about earth animal guides and talking about, you know, animals that are associated with the earth element. Um, and that's one of the chapters, there's, throughout the book, there are essays that uh, were written by uh, guest writers. And uh, there's a really great essay in, in the, that second part of the book. And it's called uh, Mother Bruin, My Journey Out of the Bear's Den, written by a, a fellow named Eric Lacherity, who is uh, uh, part of a, a bear cult. And they work in a, a Northern European uh, fashion with bear energy, bear spirit energy. And it's fascinating. I, I really think that that's interesting. And um, actually, when I was at Banyan Books, I wonder if I have it here. Speaking of animals, sorry, I know I'm getting tangential here, but... Oh, please, this is, this I, is great. I picked up this great book uh, when I was visiting Banyan back in uh, April, and it's called Arterio and uh, Arteos, and it's uh, a whole book about Celtic bear gods. So how much fun is that? And I thought about my friend Eric and his Mother Bruin essay when I did that, bought that. Part three of the book is called uh, Recipes, Rituals, and Spellcraft. And uh, there's, um, it's sort of more of the practical hands-on kind of stuff you can do. So there's a uh, chapter nine is about connecting with the spirit of place. And uh, there's a, an essay in that chapter written by Dr. Karen Froman. She's a, a prof uh, professor at the University of Winnipeg teaching Indigenous studies. And she talks about a little bit what we were talking about, Ross, about sort of cultural appropriation and how she she's an Indigenous woman who started out as a younger person practicing Wicca and then through her uh, journey into education became uh, uh, more in tune with her um, indigenous spirituality. So she set aside the European witchcraft and, and found her way down the red road. So that's, that's a really fascinating essay to read in the context, especially in the context of that chapter. Chapter 10 is called Burial and Dirt Magic. And it's about actually exactly that, burying things and actually working with the ground, getting your hands actually dirty to do some work uh, with dirt and, um, spell bottles and that kind of thing. And then the final chapter is called uh, The Earth Wheel of the Year and Witching in the Kitchen, which is, I'd always kind of had this fantasy about writing a cookbook. So when I had an opportunity, um, I put a chapter of recipes and kitchen witchery in this book. So maybe I'll write a cookbook someday, but for now that'll do. So, you know, it's, it's a very, um, there's, there's things to think about, there's things to do, and there's lots of reference in this book. That's great. Thank you. And thanks for that question, Lola. 
Thanks, Lola. There's a, there's a question from Priscilla who's curious. Uh, she says, can you tell us more about your candles? Covenstead Candle Company. Um, well, the process of writing a book takes a long time, right? There's the actual writing of the book and then there's an editing process and then finally you get published. And I like to be creative. So when I was writing Earth Magic, I decided uh, I was gonna make some candles to give as gifts for Yule that year. And I kind of got hooked on the process of making candles. So the first, the first one I made was called Earth Magic. It looks like that, inspired directly by the book. And all the candles contain uh, their natural soy wax. And they, they do have a, a scent, but they're scented with essential oils, not synthetic fragrance oils, natural essential oils. And the herbs that I put in them, I either grow myself or I, I get from an a organic herbalist. And then uh, there's gemstone chips and resins um, in there. Everything that you need to do a complete spell is contained within the jar. And uh, all that's missing is your intention and how you want to, to use it. Uh, some people just really like burning them because they cast a nice light. They're in an amber jar. They're very cozy. And uh, yeah, you can get them at Banyan Books. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Uh, I'll take this moment to acknowledge Jacob Steele, our podcast producer, our events curator, all the wonderful guests we get for Banyan Books. That's thanks to Jacob Steele. So thanks a lot, Jacob. He's here behind the scenes. Big thanks to our live audience for being here too. We, we'll get to a couple more questions. I just want to remind everyone we've been speaking to Dodie Graham McKay about her new book, Earth Magic, Elements of Witchcraft, published by Llewellyn. And of course, it's available at banyan.com where you can come in and visit us in person, get the book, or you can get her, her wonderful Covenstead candles that she was just talking about as well. Now, uh, there's, a, there's a question here from uh, Andre who says, you've mentioned a few practices, gardening, arranging salt bowl, burying, etc. Which makes you feel the most connected to the earth? Oh, wow. You know, anytime I'm doing something outside, Andre, I feel very connected to the earth. Um, and this might sound a little weird, but my compost pile. Um, one of the treats I bought myself um, a few years ago was one of those composters that's like a tumbler style one. You know, it's like a, it's like a, a, a drum and you put the compost stuff in it and you turn it. And, you know, when, when, in, in Wicca, we talk about Wicca uh, being uh, one of the sort of prime tenets of Wicca is the concept of reincarnation, you know, that birth, life, death, rebirth. And I really find a connection to that, that cycle of life when I compost. Now, it does sound a little weird and kind of flaky, but I take a great deal of comfort and enjoyment from creating compost because I see the food come into the house as whole food. I, I, I peel my potatoes, I peel my carrots, I chop stuff up. I, I see that and I eat the food, the scraps go in the compost and throughout the summer and the spring and the fall when I'm turning my, my barrel, I'm seeing the, 
the identifiable scraps slowly decompose down and break down. And then by the end of the season, by, you know, October, things are getting a bit frosty. I've got this beautiful uh, compost. And I go out and I, I spread them out. I've got raised beds that I, I put herbs and I put, um, well, one's a strawberry patch this year. And I'm kind of into that. And I spread my compost out. And then in the spring, I see my herbs coming back, my perennials coming back. And I really feel that sense of time passing, birth happening, life happening, death happening, but the promise of rebirth. And it's such a simple thing to compost, but it brings me such an incredible intimacy with the, the turning of the seasons and the patterns of the earth and the, you know, the promise of new growth. So I hope that uh, inspires somebody to compost and I hope that answers your question, Andre. I think that's the most poetic description of composting I've ever heard. That's beautiful. <laughs> I, I really like my compost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's really wonderful. Okay, there's there's a question uh, from Damon. I think this will be our last one. Um, can a person still follow a mainline religion and still follow your book's advice? Or will a choice need to be made between the two at some point? I am Jewish, which has its covenant of loyalty. Well, I think it would be more like, could you, I, I, earth magic is for everybody. There's no, there's no prejudice. Um, if your, you know, chosen faith permits you to, to explore, then, then you, I believe you're in, in very, you're very welcome to, to follow the practices of the book. I mean, a lot of, a lot of earth magic is about a connection with, with our planet, with the vital life force that pervades everything. Um, you know, you might not feel comfortable practicing out and out witchcraft. There might be uh, a, some, uh, you know, making a witch bottle might not be for you, but going out and harvesting plant medicine, connecting to animal energy, um, connecting to sacred places, uh, forming uh, a sympathy and relationship with the natural environment immediately around you. I mean, that's your birthright. You know, that's something that uh, we all need in order to be healthy people. So I, I think it's, I think it's for everyone. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Dodie, Graham, McKay, everybody. It's been really delightful to have you with us, Dodie, and really uh, appreciate your work and, and wishing you best going forward. Thanks so much, Ross. And uh, thank you. Thank you also, Jacob. You very, you've both been incredibly helpful getting this set up. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for Branches of Wisdom, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound. Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970. Our podcast producer is Jacob Steele. The show is edited by Abdo Habani. And I'm your host, Ross McKeechee. Watch all our conversations on YouTube by searching for Banyan Books or listen on your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe, follow, like, 
and leave your reviews and comments. We love to hear from you. For all our live events, books, and more, visit us at banyan.com.